Please turn in your New Testaments now to Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Acts 18, 1 through 11, and this is the very Word of God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently who had come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade as he was. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when he was and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said, "Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of your blood." From now on, in this city, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was right next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many people in this city. And they stayed, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Here's the sentence I'd like for you to remember. The answer to our deepest challenges is always a who before it's a what. The answer to our deepest challenges is always a who before it's a what, meaning that God meets our deepest challenges with relationships before he meets it with information or resources. I'd like to talk a little bit about our deepest challenges and and how we bring those to the Lord and, and what that looks like in this passage. You know, Paul had... So many challenges. I'm, I'm a great admirer of Paul because he had this amazing ability to kind of hit the reset button of faith after he'd gotten beat up or stoned almost to death, run out of the city. I mean, the guy was just had pressure on him all the time. The guy was in threat of losing his life all the time. He was run out of Thessalonica. Violence was right behind him. Some of the new believers, in fact, Jason being one, got beat up. And then he was violently pushed out of Berea. Then he goes to Athens. Now he's out of Athens. And he travels about 50 miles west of Athens, if you know the, the know Greece, uh, to the city of Corinth. And he has this amazing ability. You know, we, we just read about it. You know, when he comes there and he, he immediately starts preaching the word of God in the synagogues. I mean, Paul doesn't really lick his wounds. He, he just keeps moving. And he's really glad to have a clean slate as he moved in, moves into the city. Corinth was an unusual city in the ancient world. 
It was a city that had gained a lot of prominence. It was a city also known for its vice and sin. In fact, sexual sin was referred to um, as people who uh, uh, were in sexual sin were referred to as Corinthianized people in, in the first century. Um, however, before Christ, several hundred years, uh, the emperor no longer liked Corinth because they rose up against him and, and the whole city was leveled. And Julius Caesar rebuilt it and he put a ton of government money into it and it was a brand new gleaming city and it had two harbors. Corinth's really an interesting city. It's one, it was one of the great city seaports of the ancient world with two really nice ports um, 250,000 or so people by the time this kind of new and growing city, by the time Paul walks into it. Paul sees a great opportunity not only to reach 250,000 people, but also share the gospel with people coming in on two ports, maybe to export the faith to the whole world through these, these seafaring people. Leave it to Paul to, you know, be run out of town by violence only to be able to reset and revision and, and see a great opportunity and, and really put his faith in, in the Lord and just go. And so he goes into the synagogues and starts preaching. In verse 5, it says, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus, that he identified to the Jews that the Christ you've been looking for, the deliverer, the king overall, is Jesus. But it was his teaching of the crucifixion that was a stumbling block to the Jews. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. They just didn't get that Jesus took our curse. There's no way this Galilean could be the Messiah. And they started to push back. And then they really started to push back when they were struggling with Paul's doctrine, the leaders of the synagogue I'm talking about. And then several people in their congregation heard about the gospel, heard about the grace of God, that no longer is it going to be in your understanding how many rules you can obey to be good enough for God, that God in Christ has already paid the entire price. It is free for the asking. It's by Christ's works, not our works. Works for Him, grace to us, and people begin to believe. And Gentiles begin to believe, and they were all baptized. And the rulers of the Jews... Um, felt that this was just too much. And Paul began to endure horrible treatment at the hands of the leaders of the Jews in Corinth. Verse 6, And when they had opposed him and reviled him, and it doesn't fill in the blanks of all the, the things they said about him, all the things they did to try to undermine him, but what we read is that after, after we assume a long time of this this horrible treatment. It says he, he shook out his garments. You know how you kind of knock the dust off your shoes and leave that city, Jesus said. It's kind of a, a clothing version of that. I'm, do I'm done. He shook off his garments and he said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. I've in other words, I've tried to preach the gospel to you. You don't want it. What you didn't know is I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, but I always start with the Jews. And he says, and I quote, um, your blood is on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, this, this passage suggests 
that about this time, with the success of the gospel and Jews and Gentiles, and there's kind of a group forming, now there's pushback from the Jewish leadership. Right about this time in the other cities is when the violence started happening. When the crowd would get, the rabble would get riled up and literally a violence and literally people would start getting beat up or if they weren't beat up, they were hauled in before the city officials. And if you haven't been here for these journeys of Paul, you can go back and read how they're always brought before the city officials. Sometimes they're jailed. Once they were beaten with rods. I mean, it's awful. And this is just about the time that bad things usually happen to Paul. And so kicked out of the synagogue, Paul starts preaching in the home of a man named Titius Justus. Um, what's interesting is that Titius Justus was a God-fearer. That means he was a Gentile who was at the synagogue looking into Judaism, believed there was one God, his house was adjacent to the synagogue. I mean, you know, what, what kind of, uh, you know, cosmic, uh, poetic, cosmic justice is this? Literally, most scholars believe that the synagogue that he was kicked out of and the home that he started preaching the gospel in shared a wall. <laughs> so, you know, I, I know I have a loud voice and sometimes when I'm teaching, I think other people can hear me through the wall. Um, I bet you Paul could be heard through the wall in the synagogue. What do you think? I bet the synagogue leaders were hating the fact that he was next door on the other side of the wall preaching and all these people were, were coming and all these people were understanding the grace of God and they were trading in fear. They were trading in works. They were trading in uncertainty, trading in insecurity for the gospel, for salvation that is sure, that is purchased, that will always be there for peace with God. It was happening. And now they were even more angry with him. And this is just about the time that he usually gets beat up. But you see, the trouble here for the Apostle Paul isn't just the trouble in this passage. And I love this. This is where we get to know him a little bit. It's not just the trouble. It's where his mind is going in the midst of his trouble. You see, Paul is not only in danger as he usually is. Paul has become fearful. Yes, I said that. Yes, the scripture said that. The apostle Paul is beginning to realize it's about to happen again. And he's dreading it. And he's fearful. And he is struggling and he is wrestling um, that it is about to happen to him. And, and this isn't just hard. Emotionally, this is deep. That's why I'm calling them deep challenges. It's not just hard stuff you've got to look at, you've got to deal with. This is stuff that goes bump in the night in our hearts and souls. It's It's deep. Can you identify with that? You go through stuff that's not just hard, it's deep. One scholar says the seemingly endless opposition to Paul's ministry begins to have a depressing effect on his spiritual life. I'm so glad to hear that the Apostle Paul has the same thing happen to him in his heart that happens to me. You know, the Bible's not filled with Superman, superheroes. The only superhero in the Bible is Jesus. The only person without sin is Jesus. 
And Paul is really wrestling because I'm going to tell you something, folks. I've been a pastor for a long time and I've been a human being even longer. (laughs) Having to face hard things by faith is one thing. Having to face them again and again and again is quite another. Maybe we can get up for a challenge. Maybe it's hard to get up to it the twelfth time. When you know what's going to happen, when you know how hard it's going to be, you know the tears you're going to cry, you know the fear that's coming, you know what it's going to require in the way of faith, and you're exhausted, and you're shell-shocked, and you don't want to have to face it. That's Paul. I think of the person who's gone through cancer, and now it's recurred. To summon all that again, some of the hardest conversations with people are people that face cancer, and some of the hardest conversations with people are people that face cancer again. You understand what I'm saying? Because they remember what it was like to have a bucket by their bed for months. And they don't want to go there again. People that hit the faith reset button and go through it again and again show an amazing spiritual quality. I think of that soldier in the airport. You know, I was in Colorado Springs at a church where we had maybe about two, three hundred. I don't know, I didn't count, but hundreds of military people because there were all these military bases. And so anytime you'd fly out of the Colorado Springs airport, you'd have military people there. And, uh, of course, I'm one of these people like some of y'all that like to go up when you realize somebody's being deployed. I like to go up and put my arm around him and say, thank you so much for what you're doing. My dad went to Vietnam. It's just kind of a, a feeling I have that I need to do that. I'm going to tell you, I was with one young man, blonde-headed kid in the airport one day, and I told him thank you, and he looked at me and told me he was scared. And shockwaves went through my, my system. Because this, this, when I say kid, I'm talking about, you know, 20, barely 20-something year old. This kid was not only scared, but he was determined to go. And I thought, what kind of stuff is, re-? because this was redeployment. You know, we've got a friend, Keith Ladd, in the church out in Colorado Springs, one of the godliest people I know, been dear friends. Every time he would get deployed, we all meet at his house. We lay hands on him. We pray. We pray over Claudia. We pray over the kids. The guy got deployed four times. And every time he came back, I thought, oh, Lord, thank you that he didn't get killed in Iraq. And then he went to Afghanistan. Oh, Lord, I, I just can't even imagine what, what it's like to get that phone call again and again and again. And there are people dealing with chronic things in this sanctuary. There are people dealing with chronic things that have to do with health, the health of family members, emotional issues that are chronic. And you know what I mean. You know what I mean. And you, you, under, you get why the Apostle Paul is kind of breaking down a little bit and a little paralyzed with fear. And then there are leaders who just kind of seem up for the next battle even though they've been wounded by the last one. That's amazing. And they just keep going. That's Paul. Remember I said, Paul has this amazing ability to hit the reset button. Well, let me tell you something about that. 
is that the reset button for Paul's not automatic. It's not automatic. He, he struggles. Every time it seems we're learning, we get a little window into his heart. Every time he starts fresh with faith, every time he hits the reset button, every time he goes, well, maybe there's Corinth since I got beat up in Thessalonica. This is not automatic. He struggles. And so our deepest struggles are met. And we, we, it's beautifully laid out in this passage. That first of all, God, that God meets our deepest challenges with relationships. And basically, I'll just spend the rest of the time talking about the two who's. Remember, it's who, not what. The two who's and the first who are friends. And we see this very clearly in the text. Paul came to Corinth alone, and he just went to the synagogue, and he just started preaching, and things started happening, and things really started happening in a lot of different directions. And you know what God did? God gave Paul some new friends. Their names were Priscilla and Aquila. And there's all these interesting theories why her name is first, by the way, that she was born of more noble, blah, blah, blah. But we, we don't have time for that. Um, usually his name would be first. These, are, these become very famous people in the Scriptures, Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 2, Paul, don't you love the word, found. This is God. Paul happened to find. Paul found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come out of Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius the emperor had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. This is verse 2. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade with them, uh, with them he stayed and worked and, and with them, and they were tent makers by trade. So Paul is alone. Paul doesn't have any money. Uh, he's a tent maker. He happens to run into this Jewish person uh, who makes tents. Um, the emperor Claudius had decreed that all the Jews had to re leave Rome. It's a real interesting story there as well. That's why they're even in Corinth to begin with. And by the way, without that persecution of the Jews, without this sovereignty going on, you wouldn't know about Priscilla and Aquila and they wouldn't have been there for Paul. So all you know God works all things, don't you? Even like Caesar Augustus, issued a, a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. So Joseph also took his wife to his hometown of Bethlehem. You know, God's, God's over emperors. God's over everything. Scholars take it that uh, they were very successful people in their trade. This has to do with her name being first as well, that she probably came from a, a more wealthy family and more noteworthy family. It's kind of the way it worked in the old days. Um, with names. Um, one scholar suggests that they already had an operation going on in Corinth and in Ephesus because they seem to be set up and they just come there. And they hired Paul. But there's more to it than this. They're not just Jewish people who make tents. They're Christians! <laughs> the gospel hasn't gone to Rome yet. <laughs> what is the chance of meeting a Christian from Rome. Well, it's probably a Jewish Christian who lives in Rome who had gone back to Jerusalem and maybe heard the gospel there or maybe somebody fleeing persecution. Who knows how they came in contact with the gospel. But can you see a little bit of the sovereignty of God here? That Paul needs some help. And Paul doesn't just get financial help. Paul gets friends. 
who will hold His hands, who will lift Him up, who will hear His troubles, who will pray with Him and pray for Him and encourage Him. They became lifelong friends of Paul, mentioned all over the New Testament, most famously in the fact that they sat down one of the great preachers in the New Testament named Apollos, and they, quote, instructed him in a more excellent way, meaning they taught the preacher theology. And he went on in great debt of gratitude to Priscilla and Aquila. They were quite a team. They were always close to Paul. As you, as you move out in Paul's life, you realize they were lifelong friends. They served the Lord sacrificially. You know, kind of like some couples in this church are like. Really, seriously, not, not a joke. There's some Priscilla and Aquilas here. Paul writes from prison in Rome. In Romans 16, 3, as he is closing, getting toward the end of the, the, the epistle back to the Roman church later, he says, and obviously Priscilla and Aquila moved back to Rome and back to their operation there. Romans 16, 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their, their necks for my life, to whom I not only give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them as well. Greet also the church that meets in their house. <laughs> you know, this is a great couple. Know the Lord Jesus. Make tents for a living. Paul's getting scared. Paul is directed. God meets him with friendship. This spiritually wise couple. And they seriously lifted up Paul for him to be able to hit that reset button. To be able to face suffering again. And then we see in the text that God brought Silas and Timothy back into his life. They finally, from Macedonia, meaning from Philippi, they, they finally came in and they brought a gift of money from the, the infant church at Philippi that basically set Paul free from having to make tents. So he, he was preaching full-time. And when he started preaching full-time and really getting into it, that's when things really started happening and, and the, uh, the pressure really started happening. You know, I've had people... See struggle in me? Have you? And just taken me aside to listen and to encourage and to pray. You got people like that in your life? You know how we face our deepest stuff? Is with relationships in the Lord. I have an elder in this church sitting with me some time ago. So don't try to figure it out. For an hour while I wept for an hour. And strengthened my hand in God and followed up and encouraged and encouraged. You know, even recently a dear friend came around me when I thought I was going to have to go through something again. It's one of those again things. I'm talking about as a leader. Just talking about things you got to do. And I tell you, the difference, that person, just that, that person just coming in and, and bringing that assurance, bringing that love, the difference it made was enormous. You and I need godly friends. Not just any friends. We need godly friends. Um, because if you, and by the way, if you don't have godly friends, you need to 
find some, as Paul did. <laughs> you need to find some. You need to want some. You need to ask God for some. God will give you some. You know why? Because that's how He works you through hard stuff. It, you don't have to be alone. Normally, people who are always alone, kind of deep in their hearts, want to be alone, though they say they don't. you got to find you some. Before I came to Christ, I had some dear friends. Trust me, they loved me, I loved them. But they were as lost as me. And it was the blind leading the blind. And you can't imagine what bad bad counsel about several things that I received as a 15, 16, and 17-year-old from my friends. (laughs) No, we need friends that have the Word of God in them. Friends that have the grace of God alive in them, the wisdom of God in their lives. If you're a believer and you don't have wise, believing friends to encourage you, you're living dangerously, spiritually, and foolishly. Paul came in alone, and the first thing God did was send him some friends in Corinth. I'll never forget, after the death of my father, a very close friend of my mother, who did not know Christ, As my mother was grieving, as my mother felt lonely in the grief of losing her husband, famously said, Caroline, you know what you need? You need a good affair. How stupid is that? Yeah, that's just what she needs to pour more hurt, to pour sin on top of her grief. Yeah, that's exactly what she needs. No, no, what my mother needed, and and by the way, she rejected that counsel, um, in case you're wondering. That's how I know the story. She's like, you're not going to believe what so-and-so taught me. You know, I'm like, okay, good, good. You don't need an affair. You need Jesus, woman? No, I didn't say that. Um, She needed godly friends, and you do too, and I do too. So the first two is, how do you you deal with deep stuff? God sends you friends. It's it's a who before it's a what. The, The second who in the passage is God. It's God. God saw that Paul was getting paralyzed with fear. He always sees, of course. And God moved in and he comforted Paul. And God assured Paul, verses 9 and 10, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, and, and, but go on speaking the gospel, and do not be silent, for I'm with you. Sounds like Joshua. Remember, I'll be with you wherever you go. I'm with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. And God is saying, Look, Paul, I'm with you. Lo, I'm with you. (laughs) Um, I love you. I see your fear. I see your dread. Paul, you don't have to be afraid. Just keep speaking the gospel, and I'll handle this. And it's all about the gospel going forward, isn't it? When you read the book of Acts and the word of God increasing in the ancient world. And you know what? Basically, Paul got some gospel from God, in a sense, to, to, for this strength to keep preaching and to not be silent, to keep preaching the gospel. It's as if God is saying, Paul, it's time, you really need to believe what you preach. What you're preaching is that you have a relationship with me through me. <laughs> and you, you really know that, that you're connected with the living God. You really know that I love you. Paul, you need to believe what you preach. I know everything. I'm in charge. You're mine. I love you, Paul. Don't worry. I've got you, Paul. Receive my love 
to be able to keep preaching my gospel. Because, you see, the end of fear truly is only affected by love. Just getting a new attitude ain't going to drive out fear. It's going to mask over it. It'll give you a little peace. It'll tamp down some stuff for a while. But it is love that drives out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And God just pours His love into Paul's heart to drive out his fear. And incidentally, may may I say, that's what we need to do with other people as well. You see, one of the great things about these Christian friends, these godly Christian friends, isn't just the wisdom to know how to tell you what to do. No, it is to bring the gospel to bear on your struggle. Remember, God loves you. Time out. Do you understand how thoroughly loved you are by God because of what Jesus has done? Do you understand that things aren't quite the way they appear because the one who loves you, the one who has union with you, is walking with you? I am with you. Let me tell you something. That speaks to my heart at a much deeper level than you know you just need to do A, B, and C, and then D will work out okay. Whatever you're going through, if you put your trust in Christ, don't you know that God loves you? Don't you know He's there? Don't you know that He's holding you? Don't you know that He's protecting you? Tell them. You call somebody today on the phone if you need to. You don't have to have all the answers all the time. If they are believers, remind them how much they are loved because of the gospel. That is what drives out fear, you see. To assure them that God not only loves them, but He's got it. He's got it. And they can walk with Him. And then you might want to say to them, if you're one of those friends, and hey, you know what? I'll walk with you in this too. We'll keep praying. I'll keep encouraging you. Because we need a little bit more sometimes than just one, one word on the telephone. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and then 3, Paul says, and, and I, when I came to you, and he says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You ever read that in the opening of 1 Corinthians? Now you know why. And God gives Paul assurance finally, not only through his love, but through his sovereignty and his rule. Verses 9 and 10, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking the gospel. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you. And listen to these words. So interesting. For I have many in this city who are my people. (laughs) And he stayed more than a year and six months, which was an eternity for the Apostle Paul in one place. Teaching the word of God. What do you mean he's got all these people in the city? He just arrived with the gospel. You know, there's like a triple handful of believers. What do you mean? Well, what he means is that God is the sovereign God over all, that God's already got it worked out, that God's already ahead of us, not only in our problems, but God is ahead of us in ministry. God has chosen. God basically says, you do the preaching, I'll do the saving. I've got it, Paul. And I'm going I'm to create a... Think quarterback. I'm going to create a pocket around you, Paul. You just keep throwing the ball, man. You just, keep, you just keep preaching the gospel. 
Because I got lots of people in this city. And he did. And that church grew and grew. That church became famous for what happened when the gospel came there. It's kind of like Elijah. Remember, he was in depression. And he said to God in 1 Kings 19.9, God came to the cave where he was in depression. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am the only one left. And they seek my life to take it away. And God said, I have 7,000 people you don't know about that have not bowed the knee to Baal, dude. (laughs) I got lots of people in this city. Hey, Paul, I love you. I got it. You're mine. Let my love drive out the fear, but I'm sovereign. Keep going. Keep preaching. I got lots of people. I mean, what encouragement. So are you struggling? Do you have to get back up for a challenge? This is a great passage for you. This is like life in a fallen world. Great passage for that. Do you know a friend who's really, quote, going through it? deeply going through it or is afraid to have to go through it again we're going to go to this table right now and let me just give you these instructions before we give you the official ones on the floor let god love you see the love of god for what it is 100 percent unreserved lavish thorough eternal and let god love you in this supper And let him calm your heart and begin to drive out your fear through his love. And while you're there, please recognize that he is also King Jesus and he's got it. And he's got lots of people in this city. He's at work. Let's pray. Lord, would you lead us now to your table, to your love and to your sovereignty? Would you help us to be able to encourage other people in the gospel? Would you help us to love in a way that it resonates with your love? And Lord, would you be pleased to work even, even through us to bring your kingdom to bear here in our city? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.